Our second text of the morning is also from Paul's letter to the Romans, this time from the eighth chapter. I'll begin reading with the 26th verse. Again, when you listen for God's word as it's proclaimed by God's servant, the Apostle Paul. And as well as this, the Spirit, too, comes to help us in our weakness. For when we do not know how to pray properly, then the Spirit personally makes our petitions for us in groans that cannot be put into words. And he who can see into all hearts knows what the Spirit means, because the prayers that the Spirit makes for God's holy people are always in accordance with the mind of God. Amen. Amen. Many of you were here on that first occasion when I had the opportunity to preach. Uh, It was shortly after I had retired Um, And so I I mention this because it's so true. At about 10.30 every night following the broadcast of the news, I mumble under my breath, I need a pulpit. (laughs) So Marty has been very respectful of that, and I want all of you to know how much I appreciate the opportunity of sharing the pulpit with her. Uh, on this very special day. The phrase, thoughts and prayers, has been added to a list of useless sayings and behaviors called slacktivism, which is a shortened version of slacker activist. I didn't make this up. I really didn't. It's a term that has been around since 1995. Barnaby Fetter wrote an article in the New York Times in which he quoted Barbara Mickelson defining slacktivism as, quote, the desire people have to do something without getting out of their chair. Slacktivism. The fact is that we are hearing the phrase thoughts and prayers from a lot of slacktivists, particularly politicians, those who have been interviewed following a terrible tragedy like the recent massacres committed in El Paso and Dayton. I know you've heard it. We'll keep the victims and their families in our thoughts and prayers. In fact, it's those who have actual legislative power by which they could make us safer who have pronounced that phrase and who have refused to get out of their chairs and stand up for justice. Slacktivists. Some who say it want to sound concerned. My thoughts and prayers will be with you. Others of us have spoken that phrase with sincerity. I know I have. But now, in our culture, we've reached the point where most people cease to consider that phrase to be important. 
I'll hold them and their families in my thoughts and prayers. Some of us say that phrase and we really mean it. We really do mean it. But unfortunately, that phrase has been taken from us by those who are casual and even abusive about its essence. As Marty says in just about every sermon that she preaches, here's the thing. A treasured and extremely important expression of our theology has been so misused or abused that it can no longer be taken seriously. I was the senior pastor of Arapahoe Church in Richardson for 24 years. Quite a few years ago, we installed an illuminated sign out on the corner of Arapahoe Road and Coit Road, a very busy intersection. On that sign, we would display messages that were sometimes benign, like VBS starts on June 15th. But on other occasions, we displayed messages that were provocative, like those that condemned racism or those that condemned homophobia. Occasionally, I'd get negative attention from what we proclaimed on that sign. Those driving by paid attention. That's good. That's what we wanted. Marty and I live just about a mile from Arapahoe Church, so we drive by that sign just about every day. Last week, the message appeared on the sign, and it was striking. It read, Thoughts and prayers are not enough. At the bottom of the screen, it read, put love into action. That's important. You see, though, that the apathetic use of the phrase, thoughts and prayers, has robbed us of a profoundly important expression of our theology. Unfortunately, those terms, thoughts and prayers, have been used as a substitute for pursuing justice. Thoughts and prayers remain powerful aspects of our faith. So let's look at what the Bible and the Apostle Paul in particular have to say about them. The phrase thoughts and prayers may no longer be a valuable expression in the church's public speech. But both of those realities, both thoughts and prayers, are essential to our faith and to our call to discipleship. In fact, thoughts and prayers may be enough, more than enough, to show us what makes for peace. First, let's look at Paul's focus on thoughts. At the beginning of chapter 12 of Romans, this is what he says. I urge you then, sisters and brothers, remembering the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, dedicated and acceptable to God. That is the kind of worship for you as sensible people, as thoughtful people, as rational people, you see? In the New Revised Standard Version, which is an excellent translation of the Bible, it reads, which is your spiritual worship? The Greek word is logikain. You hear it, right? Logikain, logikos, logical. And then Paul adds, 
Do not model your behavior on the contemporary world, but let the renewing of your minds transform you so that you may discern for yourselves what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and mature. You see, in our covenant relationship with God, our thoughts, our logical thoughts, our rational thoughts, our sensible thoughts help us make sense out of God's will because the will of God is logical. Now, prayer. Prayer then becomes the setting by which we are able to do our best thinking our best spiritual thinking because it's the atmosphere where we literally enter into dialogue with God. I believe this is Paul's definition of prayer. It's what the Apostle Paul wrote to members of the Roman church who faced challenging problems. Oh, it was about the year 58, maybe 59 CE. Paul wrote this. The Spirit too, the Spirit, the, the capital S, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, the Spirit too comes to help us in our weakness. For when we do not know how to pray properly, then the Spirit personally makes our petitions for us in groans that cannot be put into words. And he who can see into all hearts what the Spirit means because the prayers that the Spirit makes for God's holy people are always in accordance with the mind of God. Here's what I think Paul is telling the Christians in Rome about prayer. Sometimes we don't think we know how to pray, how to articulate our concerns. There are occasions when we approach prayer only to discover that we feel speechless. Or, and more importantly, it could be that we sometimes feel so overwhelmed with our pain or our grief or by our sense of abandonment that our capability to communicate with God feels paralyzed. Paul is telling us that when we are incapable of prayer, then God prays for us. God says what we feel incapable of saying. I hear Paul telling us that we don't have to say the right words and, and we don't have to hold our hands in a particular way in order for prayer to happen. When we cannot pray, God is praying for us. This is what I think is so important about that. God's Spirit is interacting with our personal spirits, with my spirit, Tom, with your spirit, 
Pamela with your spirit, and Fran with your spirit, Scott with your spirit. Listen to this, please. God's spirit is interacting with our personal spirits even while we are unaware. The function of prayer, then, is the way by which we experience our interaction with God. Paul appears to say that God or God's Spirit is in constant dialogue with the Spirit of each and every one of us. There is never a moment when God is out of touch with us, even when we feel that we are out of touch with God. Your spirit, my spirit, the spirit of every created human being is in dialogue with the spirit of God all of the time. I have no idea how that works, but I believe it with all my heart. We may not have a clue about how to speak to God. But even while we are unaware, God is always speaking interactively with us. Paul writes, the Spirit personally makes our petitions for us in groans that cannot be put into words, and God, who can see into all hearts, knows what the Spirit means because the prayers that the Spirit makes for God's holy people, that's us, are always in accordance with the mind of God. You hear it? For God's sake, hear it. God knows everything that is going on in our hearts and souls. It would be great to listen in on that conversation, right? Well, we can. Prayer as a human activity is when we listen in on the dialogue that is happening between our spirits and God's spirit. God knows everything that's going on in our hearts and souls, so prayer is what we do when we pay attention to what God is telling us in response to whatever is going on in our minds. Now, here comes the challenge, and it's tough, but here comes the challenge of that. How can we feel confident that what we are sensing as a message from God is really from God and not just something that we make up because that's what we want to hear? How can we feel confident that what we think God is saying is authentic and reliable. Father Thomas Merton described the aim of prayer as being able to choose in our freedom what God is choosing for us. Can't we imagine that what we hear in prayer is legitimate only if it is compatible with the nature of God. As God's nature 
has been revealed to us through Scripture. Also, we can feel confident about what is revealed to us if it's consistent with what we have learned about the nature of God through the Christ of God. And if what we hear in prayer is consistent with God's nature as it has been revealed to us through those whose faith and wisdom we respect. For example, it was the compassion of God for those enslaved in Egypt that Moses experienced out of his encounter with God at the burning bush. We can rely on what we hear in prayer then if what we sense that God is choosing for us challenges us to be compassionate. It's logical to think that God would want us to show compassion as God is compassionate. Repeatedly, our ancestors realized they had a sacred obligation to care for the orphan, the widow, the poor, and the immigrant because they were defenseless people who couldn't survive without a community. We, too, can rely on what we hear in prayer if what we hear echoes godly concern for those who can't help themselves. Jesus and his disciples were out in a field with thousands of people who were hungry. Jesus said to the disciples, give them something to eat. They had doubts. Well, God, through Christ, erased those doubts helping them see that their ability exceeded their limited imagination. In prayer, then, we can expect God to coach us toward broadening our moral imagination. We can trust an impulse like that. God is not the angry, wrathful, punishing God that some of us were raised to follow. Rather, God is compassionate, gracious, inspiring, imaginative, and loving. So if what we hear in prayer does not send us in the direction of sharing courageous love or seeking justice boldly, then maybe we are ignoring God's Spirit like slacktivists. This is a crude estimate on my part, I know that, but it helps me. The way I see it, prayer appears to be 10% talking and 90% listening. Prayer is not so much giving God instructions about what we think God ought to do. Rather, prayer is listening to whatever it is that the Spirit of God has to say as God shows us the way to function as instruments of peace and healing and goodness. My mother, Dara Soper, died when she was 94 years old. The sacred truths that she shared continue to live in me. It became clear to me that the God I learned to worship 
was revealed to me through the love of my mother. In the eulogy that I delivered at her funeral, I began by saying, my mom was perfect. Let me tell you why I believe that to be true. I went on to describe how she was authentically human. Cheer up, son, she would say. God is good. If you spent more than 10 minutes with mom, you would hear her share that maxim of her faith. It never mattered how mild or severe the struggle that I faced. Mom would always address my confusion or my fear with the phrase, cheer up, son, God is good. I learned it. I lived it. I taught it to my children in the same way that I believe Jesus learned that same truth from the family of faith that raised him into adulthood. God is good. Cheer up, sweetheart. Cheer up, darling. Cheer up, son. God is good. It's God's nature. Mom lived in Boston. I would visit her as often as I could, but we never had as many visits as, as we really wanted to have. We talked on the phone once or twice each week. The last couple of years of her life were spent in a nursing home where she was loved and where she loved absolutely everybody in that nursing home. On one of my visits while she was in the nursing home, she said she wanted to ask me something. I said, well, what is it, Mom? And she said, I can't ask you now. I'll ask you tomorrow. I said, okay. She said, will you bring coffee and jelly donuts from Dunkin' Donuts? I said, of course I will, Mom. You see, jelly donuts and coffee were sacramental to Mom. It was a lovely New England summer day, so we sat out in the beautiful courtyard with coffee and Dunkin' Donuts, jelly, of course. She said her question was important and that it was time for her to ask. I said, okay, Mom, what is it? She said, will you conduct my funeral? I said, of course I will, Mom, of course I will. We spent the next two hours sitting out there talking about the details of that memorial service. In the conversation, I said, Mom, what is it that you say all the time when things aren't going well? Well, son, I always say God is good. That's true, God is good. I assured her that I would make sure that everyone who came to her memorial service would be reminded of that. I said, Mom, why did you give me the name John? She said, we gave you the name John because it's your father's name. His name is John and we called him Jack. So your name is John and we call you Jack. I said, Mom, did you know that the name John is a Hebrew word? 
And she said, no, I didn't know that. I said, I want you to know what my name, John, means in Hebrew. What does it mean, son? I said, in Hebrew, the name John means God is good. And we cried together. When I listen for the word of God in prayer, while I prayerfully read scripture, or while I listen to Marty proclaim God's word on a Sunday morning, or while I listen to our choir sing what is truly sacred, or while I feel God's sacredness from Larry's fingertips on the keys of the organ, or one I'm in the humble homes of the Maya living in Guatemala. If as I listen prayerfully, I hear God's will sending me out into the world, then I will go with confidence and I hope with courage. I will go when, when, when what I'm sent to proclaim is what I've learned about God's nature from scripture and from my mother and from those I respect and from you. I will go when what I am to proclaim through word and deed is true to God's nature as God is good. For God's sake, and for the sake of all who need to be loved and those who need to be confronted for justice, for God's sake, let the goodness of God fill your thoughts and your prayers. Amen.